Okay, so welcome everyone. We're here to study Visuddhimagga today. Robin, would you like to tell us where we left off? Sure, we're on page 242. Um, oh, I apologize, I was traveling last week and I didn't write down which verse we're on. Does anyone know? Ah, thanks, Tina. Number 72 on page 242. And Aurora, would you like to start? Yes. As to absorption, as to absorption part by part, the intention here is this. It should be understood that absorption is brought about in each one of the parts. As to the three sutantas, the intention here is this. It should be understood that the three sutantas, namely those on higher consciousness, on coolness, and on scaling the enlightenment factors, have as a purpose the linking of energy with concentration. Herein, this sutta should be understand to deal with higher consciousness. Bhikkhus, there are three signs that should be given attention from time to time by a bhikkhu intent on higher consciousness. The sign of concentration should be given attention from time to time. The sign of exertion should be given attention from time to time. The sign of equanimity should be given attention from time to time. If a bhikkhu intent on higher consciousness gives attention only to the sign of concentration, then his consciousness may conduce to idleness. If a bhikkhu intent on higher consciousness gives attention only to the sign of exertion, then his consciousness may conduce to agitation. If a bhikkhu intent on higher consciousness gives attention only to the sign of equanimity, then his consciousness may not become rightly concentrated for the destruction of the cankers. But bhikkhus, when a bhikkhu intent on higher consciousness gives attention from time to time, to the sign of concentration, to the sign of exertion, to the sign of equanimity, then his consciousness becomes malleable, wieldly, and bright. It is not brittle and becomes rightly concentrated for the destruction of cankers. Bikus, just as a skilled goldsmith or goldsmith's apprentice prepares his furnace, and heats up and puts crude gold into it with tongues. And he blows on it from the time to time, sprinkles water on it from time to time, and looks on at it the crude gold. It would burn, and if he only sprinkled water on it, it would cool down. And if he only looked on it, it would not get rightly re refined. But when the goldsmith or goldsmith's apprentice blows on the crude gold from time to time, sprinkles water on it from time to time, and looks on it from time to time, then it becomes malleable, wily and bright. It is not brittle, and it submits rightly to, begin, to being wrought whatever kind of ornament he wants to work it or into. Whether a chain or a ring or a necklace or a gold fillet, it serves his purpose. 
So too, bhikkhus, there are three signs that should be given attention from time to time by a bhikkhu intent on higher consciousness, becomes rightly concentrated for the destruction of cankers. He attains the ability to be witness through realization by direct knowledge of any state realizable by direct knowledge to which he inclines his mind whenever there is occasion. This sutta deals with coolness. Bhikkhus, when a bhikkhu possesses six things, he is able to realize the supreme coolness. What six? Here, bhikkhus, when consciousness should be restrained, he restrains it. When consciousness should be exerted, he exerts it. When consciousness should be encouraged, he encourages it. When consciousness should be looked on with equanimity, he looks on it with equanimity. He is resolute on the superior state to be attained. He delights in Nibbana. Possessing these six things, a bhikkhu is able to realize the supreme coolness. Skill in, in the enlightenment factors has already been dealt with in the explanation of skill in absorption. In the passage beginning, because when the mind is slack, that is not the time for developing the tranquility enlightenment factor. So the meditator should make sure that he has apprehended this sevenfold skill in learning well and has properly defined this tenfold skill in giving attention, thus learning the, learning the meditation subject properly with both kind of skill. If it is convenient for him to live in the same monastery as the teacher, then he need not get it explained in detail thus to begin with. But as he applies himself to the meditation subject after he has made quite sure about it, he can have each successive stage explained as he reaches each distinction. One who wants to live elsewhere, however, must get it explained to him in detail in the way already given and he must turn it over and over, getting all the difficulties solved. He should leave an abode of an unsuitable kind as described in the description of the earth casina, and go and live in a suitable one. Then he should sever the minor impediments and set about the preliminary work for giving attention to repulsiveness. When he sets about it, he should first apprehend the learning sign in head hairs. How? The color should be defined first by plucking out one of the two head hairs and placing them on the palm of the hand. He can also look at them in the hair cutting place or in a bowl of water or rice gruel. If the ones he sees are black, when he sees them, they should be brought to mind as black. If white, as white. If mixed, they should be brought to mind in accordance with those most prevalent. And as in the case of head hairs, so too the sign should be apprehended visually with the whole of the skin's pentad.
Having apprehended the sign thus and defined all the other parts of the body by color, shape, direction, location, and delimitation, he should then define repulsiveness in five ways, that is, by color, shape, odor, habitat, and location. Here is the explanation of all the parts given in successive order. Head hairs. Firstly, head hairs are black in their normal color, the color of fresh eritaka seeds. As to shape, they are the shape of long, round measuring rods. As to direction, they lie in the upper direction. As to location, their location is the wet inner skin that envelops the skull. It is bounded on both sides by the roots of the ears, in front by the forehead, and behind by the nape of the neck. As to delimitation, they are bounded below by the surface of their own roots, which are fixed by entering to the amount of the tip of a rice grain into their inner skin that envelops the head. They are bounded above by space and all around by each other. There are no two hairs together. This is their delimitation by the similar. Head hairs are not body hairs, and body hairs are not head hairs, being likewise not intermixed with the remaining 31 parts, the head hairs are a separate part. This is their delimitation by the dissimilar, such as the definition of head hairs as to color and so on. The definition as to repulsiveness in the five ways, that is, by color, etc., is as follows. Head hairs are repulsive in color as well as in shape, other habitat and location. For unseeing the color of a head hair in a bowl of inviting rice gruel or cooked rice, people are disgusted and say, this has got hairs in it, take it away. So they are repulsive in color. Also when people are eating at night, they are likewise disgusted by the mere sensation of a hair-shaped Akka bark or Makachi bark fiber. So they are repulsive in shape. And the odor of the head hairs, unless dressed with a smearing of oil, scented with flowers, etc., is most offensive, and it is still worse when they are put in the fire. Even if head hairs are not directly repulsive in color and shape, still their odor is directly repulsive. Just as a baby's excrement, as to its color, is the color of turmeric, and as to its shape, is the shape of a piece of turmeric root, and just as the bloated carcass of a black dog thrown on a rubbish heap, as to the color, is the color of a ripe palmyra fruit, and as to its shape, is the shape of a mandolin-shaped drum left face down, and its fangs are like jasmine buds, and so even if both of these are not directly repulsive in color and shape, still their odor is directly repulsive. So too, even if head hairs are not directly repulsive in color and shape, still their odor is directly repulsive. Uh, but but just as potherbs that grow on village 
sewage in a filthy place are disgusting to civilized people and unusable. So also head hairs are disgusting since they grow on the sewage of pus, blood, urine, dung, bile, phlegm, and uh, and the like. This is the repulsive aspect of habitat. And these head hairs grow on the hip of the other 31 parts as fungi, fungi do on a dunghill. And owing to the filthy place they grow in, they are quite as unappetizing as vegetables grow, growing on a general ground on a maiden, etc., as lotuses or white water lilies growing in drains, and so on. This is the repulsive aspect of their location. And as in the case of head hairs, so also the repulsiveness of all the parts should be defined B in the same five ways by color, shape, odor, habitat, and location. All, however, must be defined individually A by color, shape, direction, location, and delimitation as follows. Body hairs. Herein, firstly, as to natural color, body hairs are not pure black like head hairs, but blackish brown. As to shape, they are the shape of palm roots with the tips bent down. As to direction, they lie in two directions. As to location, except for the locations where the head hairs are established, and for the palms of the hands and soles of the feet, they grow in most of the rest of the inner skin that envelops the body. As to the limitation, they are bounded below by the surface of their own roots, which are fixed by entering to the extent of a likha into the inner skin that envelops the body, above by space, and all round by each other. There are no two body hairs together. This is the delimitation by the similar, but their delimitation by the dissimilar is like that for the head hairs. Note, these two last sentences are repeated verbatim at the end of the description of each part. They are not translated in the remaining 30 parts. Nails is the name for the 20 nail plates. They are all white as to color, as to shape. They are the shape of fish scales. As to direction, the two nails are in the lower direction. The fingernails are in the upper direction. So they grow in the two directions. As to location, they are fixed on the tips of the backs of the fingers and toes. As to the limitation, they are bounded in the two directions by the flesh of the ends of the fingers and toes. And inside by the flesh of the backs of the fingers and toes and externally and at the end by space and all round by each other there are not two nails together teeth 
There are 32 tooth bones in one whose teeth are complete. They are white in color. As to shape, they are of various shapes. For firstly, in the lower row, the four middle teeth are the shape of pumpkin seeds set in a row in a lump of clay. That on each side of them has one root and one point and is the shape of a jasmine bud. Each one after that has two roots and two points and is the shape of a wagon prop. Then on each side with three roots and three points, then two with each side four rooted and four pointed. Likewise in the upper row, as to direction, they lie in the upper direction. As to delocation, they are fixed in the jawbones. As to delimitation, they are bounded by the surface of their own roots, which are fixed in the jawbones. They are bounded above by space and all around by each other. There are no two teeth together. Skin taka. The inner skin envelops the whole body. Outside, it is what is called the outer cuticle, which is black, brown, or yellow in color. And when that from the whole of the body is compressed together, it amounts to only as much as a juju fruit kernel. But as, as, as to color, the skin itself is white and its whiteness becomes evident when the outer cuticle is destroyed by contact with the flame of a fire or the impact of a blow and so on. As to shape, it is the shape of the body in brief, but in detail the skin of the toes is the shape of silkworth cocoons. The skin of the back of the foot is the shape of shoes with uppers. The skin of the calf is the shape of a palm leaf wrapping cooked rice. The skin of the thighs is the shape of a long sack full of paddy. The skin of the buttocks is the shape of a cloth strainer full of water. The skin of the back is the shape of hide stretched over a plank. The skin of the belly is the shape of the hide stretched over the body of a lute. The skin of the chest is more or less square. The skin of both arms is the shape of the hide stretched over a quiver. The skin of the backs of the hands is the shape of a razor box or the shape of a coon case. The skin of the fingers is the shape of a key box. Skin of the neck is the shape of a collar for the throat. The skin of the face is the shape of an insect's nest full of holes. The skin of the head is the shape of a power bag. The meditator who is discerning the skin should first define the inner skin that covers the face, working his knowledge over the face beginning with the upper lip. Next, the inner skin of the frontal bone. Next, he should define the inner skin of the head, separating, as it were, the inner skin's connection with the bone by inserting his knowledge in between the cranium bone and the inner skin of the head, as he might his hand in between the bag and the bowl put in the bag. Next, the inner skin of the shoulders. Next, the inner skin of the right arm, forwards and backwards, and then in the same way, the inner skin of the left arm. 
Next, after defining the inner skin of the back, he should define the inner skin of the right leg forwards and backwards, then the inner skin of the left leg in the same way. Next, the inner skin of the groin, the paunch, the bosom, and the neck should be successively defined. Then, after defining the inner skin of the lower jaw, next after that, of the neck, he should finish on arriving on the lower lip. When he discerns it in the gross, in this way, it becomes evident to him, more subtly, too. As to direction, it lies in both directions. As to location, it covers the whole body. As to delimitation, it is bounded below by it, its fixed surface and above by space. Bonte, I have a question. This description of the skin and placing your knowledge where, you know, in between like the inner skin, it sounds a lot like, is it similar to this? There's a metaphor of a cow, a skinned cow. Is this a similar situation? You're talking about the flayed, the cow that is flayed? Flayed cow, yes. Well, that's um, that's just a simile used to describe the how how even how sensation is suffering, or you should look upon cessation in that way. This one, uh, I'm I'm looking for the word for knowledge here. Nyanang, which just means one's. Um, awareness or you know perception so perceive it as separate from the separate from the flesh and the bones flesh there are 900 pieces of flesh. As to color, it is all red, like kimsuka flowers. As to shape, the flesh of the calves is the shape of cooked rice in a palm leaf bag. The flesh of the thighs is the shape of a rolling pin. The flesh of the buttock, buttocks is the shape of the end of an oven. The flesh of the back is the shape of a slab of palm sugar. The flesh between each two ribs is the shape of clay mortar squeezed thin in a flattened opening. The flesh of the Breast is the shape of a lump of clay made into a ball and flung down. The flesh of the two upper arms is the shape of a large skinned rat and twice the size. When he discerns it grossly in this way, it becomes evident to him subtly too. As I said, uh, remarked earlier, this is one of the most interesting uh, of the, or I guess eye-opening of, of the meditations. 
I don't think anyone who hasn't read this generally has ever looked at the body in quite this way. Looking, has anyone ever looked at your upper arms as the shape of the muscles in your upper arms as the shape of a large skinned rat? Definitely not. <laughs> and it just gets better and better as we go. Can imagine. Somebody put a lot of thought into this, really. Yeah. But you can see how it works to tear apart our idea of the, you know, the conception that we have of the body as something handsome or beautiful. And I noticed that it really seems to break the body into parts as opposed to thinking of it as a whole. Yeah, that, that in and of itself helps. As to direction, it lies in both directions. As to location, it is plastered over the 300 and odd bones. As to delimitation, it is bounded below by its surface, which is fixed on to the collection of bones, and above by the skin, and all around, each by each, other piece. Sinews. There are 900 sinews. As to color, all the sinews are white. As to shape, they have various shapes. For five of great sinews that bind the body together start out from the upper part of the neck and descend by the front, and five more by the back, and then five by the right and five by the left. And of those that bind the right hand, five descend by the front of the hand and five by the back. Likewise, those that bind the left hand. And of those that bind the right foot, five descend by the front and five by the back. Likewise, those that bind the left foot. So there are 60 great sinews called body supporters which descend from the neck and bind the body together. And they are also called tendons. They are all the shape of yam shoots. But there are others scattered over various parts of the body which are finer than the last named. They are the shape of strings and cords. There are others still finer, the shape of creepers. Others still finer are the shape of large lute strings, yet others are the shape of coarse thread. The sinews in the back of the hands and feet are the shape of a bird's claw. The sinews in the head are the shape of children's head nets. The sinews in the back are the shape of a wet nets spread out in the sun. The rest of the sinews following the various limbs are the shape of a net jacket fitted to the body. As to, the, as to direction, they lie in the two directions. As to location, they are to be found binding the bones of the whole body together. As to the limitation, they are bounded below by their surface, which is fixed onto the 300 bones, and above by the portions that are in contact with the flesh and the inner skin and all round by each other. Bones. Accepting the 32 teeth bones, these consist of the remaining 64 hand bones, 64 foot bones, 64 soft bones dependent on the flesh, two heel bones, and in each leg, two ankle bones, two shin bones, one knee bone, and one thigh bone, 
then two hip bones, 18 spine bones, 24 rib bones, 14 breast bones, one heart bone, two collar bones, two shoulder blade bones, two upper arm bones, two pairs of forearm bones, two neck bones, two jaw bones, one nose bone, two eye bones, two ear bones, one frontal bone, one occipital bone, nine syncipital bones. So there are exactly 300 bones. As to color, they are all white. As to shape, they are various shapes. Herring the end bones of Herring the end bones of those of the toes are the shape of catacasts. Those next to them in the middle sections are the shape of jackfruit seeds. The bones of the base sections are the shape of small drums. The bones of the back of the foot are the shape of a bunch of bruised yarns. The heel bone is the shape of the seed of a single stone palmyra fruit. The ankle bones are the shape of two play balls bound together. The shin bones in the place where they rest on the ankle bones are the shape of a cindy shoot without the skin removed. The small shin bone is the shape of a toy bow stick. The, <coughs> the large one is the shape of a shriveled snake's back. The knee bone is the shape of a lump of froth melted on one side. Herein, the place where the shin bone rests on it is the shape of a blunt cow's horn. The thigh bone is the shape of a badly paired handle for an axe or hatchet. The place where it fits into the hip bone is the shape of a play ball. The place in the hip bone where it is set is the shape of a big punaga fruit with the end cut off. The two hip bones, when fastened together, are the shape of the ring fastening of a smith's hammer. The buttock bone on the end of them is the shape of an inverted snake's hood. It is perforated in seven or eight places. The spine bones are internally the shape of lead sheep, lead sheep pipes put one on top of the other. Externally, they are the shape of a string of beads. They have two or three rows of rows of projections next to each other, like the teeth of a saw. Of the 24 rib bones, uh, the incomplete ones are the shapes of incomplete sabers, and the complete ones are the shape of complete sabers. All, the, all together, they are like the outspread wings of white cock. The 14 breast bones are the shape of an old chariot frame. The hard bone sternum is the shape of the bowl of a spoon. The collar bones are the shape of small metal knife handles. The shoulder blade bones are the shape of a Sinhalese hoe hole worn down on one side the upper oh sorry
The upper arm bones are the shape of looking glass handles. The forearm bones, the forearm bones are the shape of a twin palm's trunks. The wrist bones are the shape of lead sheet pipes stuck together. The bones of the back of the hand are the shape of a bundle of bruised yams. As to the fingers, the bones of the base sections are the shape of small drums. Those of the middle sections are the shape of immature jackfruit seeds. Those of the end section are the shape of kataka seeds. Wow, I think we have the youngest reader of the Visuddhi Magga yet. Yeah, she she likes to read. What's her name? Awesome. Audrey. Hi, Audrey. <laughs> she cannot hear. Oh. Audrey needs to have her own turn. Hi, Audrey. Can she hear? Do you want to hear? I'll give her the headphone. Headset. Hi, Audrey. Hi. How are you? Good. Do you know what we're reading? Yes. What's it about? What are we reading about? You know what you just read? You just read about the bones in the body. You know how many bones there are in the body? There are three hundred. And we're going through each one and telling what they look like. Each bone looks different. So the bones in your fingers look different from the bones in your feet. And they look different from the bones in your legs. Did you know we got 300 bones inside? Okay, my turn to read. The seven neck bones are the shape of rings of bamboo stem threaded one after the other on a stick. The lower jawbone is the shape of a smith's iron hammer ring fastening. The upper one is the shape of a knife for scraping the rind off sugar canes. The bones of the eye sockets and nostril sockets are the shape of young palmyra seeds with the kernels removed. The frontal bone is the shape of an inverted bowl made of a shell. The bones of the ear holes are the shape of barber's razor boxes. The bone in the place where a cloth is tied round the head above the frontal bone and the ear holes is the shape of a piece of curled up toffee flake. The occipital bone is the shape of a lopsided coconut with a hole cut in the end. The sincipital bones are the shape of a dish made of an old gourd held together with stitches. As to direction, they lie in both directions. As to location, they are to be found indiscriminately throughout the whole body. But in particular here, the head bones rest on the neck bones, the neck bones on the spine bones, 
the spine bones on the hip bones, the hip bones on the thigh bones, the thigh bones on the knee bones, the knee bones on the shin bones, the shin bones on the ankle bones, the ankle bones on the bones of the back of the foot. As to the limitation, they are bound inside by the bone marrow, above by the flesh, at the ends and at the roots by each other. Bone marrow. This is the marrow inside the various bones. As to color, it is white. As to shape, that inside each large bone is the shape of a large cane shoot moistened and inserted into a bamboo tube. That inside each small bone is the shape of a slender cane shoot moistened and inserted in a section of bamboo twice. As to direction, it lies in both directions. As to location, it is set inside the bones. As to the limitation, it is delimited by the inner surface of the bones. Um, I actually kind of had another question. I see Sankara has written uh, Sinhalese Ho in the comments, and that kind of it had me asking the question too. Um, Apart from this being a uh, inventory of the body, and is quite uh, thorough, it also seems to be like a real good uh, inventory of um, agrarian lifestyle. And I did wonder about the Sinhalese Ho, since I think that would be would that be in Sri Lanka. This yeah, book was written in Sri Lanka. Uh, we are the traditions as that. Buddhaghosa was Indian, but he went to Sri Lanka to, it was his task to translate the Sinhalese commentaries back into Pali. That's what the tradition says. So before they let him do it, they they made him compose the Visuddhimagga to show that he was competent. And uh, just a, a second question is, w what audience would this be intended for, monks, or would it include laity? Monks. It was given as a gift to the Mahavihara, I think. Yes, like do, do we know how long it took him to write this? If you read the introduction, it talks about it. Uh, he wrote it out three times. He wrote it out once, and then he fell asleep, and when he woke up, it was gone. And then he wrote it out again, fell asleep and woke up, and it was gone. And then he wrote it out the third time, and as soon as he finished writing it out the third time, the other two versions appeared. Uh, and they were exactly word for word, letter for letter, the same as the third version. So he presented all three versions to the elders. I think they, they let, they let, this is a legend which says that the angels were using this as a means of showing how great he was as a scholar, and he was able to write it out three times exactly the same. But it does sound a bit legendary. Apocryphal. That it does, but it's a cool story. Uh, kidney. This is two pieces of flesh with a single ligature. As to color, it is dull red, the color of polybadaka, a coral tree, seeds. As to shape, it is the shape of a pair of child's play balls. 
or it is the shape of a pair of mango fruits attached to a single stalk. As to direction, it lies in the upper direction. As to location, it is to be found on either side side of the heart flesh, being fastened by a stout sinew that starts out with one root from the base of the neck and divides into two after going a short way. As to delimitation, the kidney is bounded by what appertains to kidney. Heart. This is the heart flesh. As to color, it is the color of, a, of the back of a red lotus petal. As to shape, it is the shape of a lotus bud with the outer petals removed and turned upside down. It is smooth outside, and inside it is like the interior of the kasataki, lofa gold. In those who possess understanding, it is a little expanded. In those without understanding, it is still only a bud. Inside it there is a hollow the size of a punyaga seed bed where half a passata measure of blood is kept with which as their support the mind element and mind consciousness consciousness element occur. That in one of greedy temperament is red, that in one of hating temperament is black, that in one of deluded temperament is like water that meat has been washed in, that in one of speculative temperament is like lentil soup in color, that in one of faithful temperament is the color of yellow canicara flowers, that in one of understanding temperament is limpid, clear, unturbid, bright, pure, like a washed gem of pure water, and it seems to shine. That's interesting that the the uh, the image of the the black heart for the hating and something that you know we still hear about today, you know, black heart, and I thought it was also interesting in the in one eleven, where it says that in those with um, understanding it's expanded, but with without understanding it's still only a bud. I, that you know almost seems like what we kind of think of as the brain, really, like the the function of the brain, but applying it to the heart. The um, yeah, this is um, somewhat controversial as to where the mind rests. The mind in Buddhism is said to rest in the heart, not in the brain. Which oh, is um, it's a hard hard to to Mahasi Sayadaw talks about this. It's hard to um, what do you call relate this to modern science, where someone can have a heart transplant and not lose their mind. Right, the mind isn't transplanted with it. So he said one of two things can be understood: is one uh, the the mind at that time occupies the space where the heart was or two the mind isn't based on the heart at all it's based on the brain instead but the tradition is that it's based on the heart thank you bonte 
we have a we have a legend bante uh, about a uh, uh, soldier of king dutugamuno he he was beheaded and uh, uh, and uh, some uh, someone uh, fixed a head of a bear and then he was able to come back to i mean he was able to survive for some time uh with the head of the bear and then he was known as uh, uh a ghost with that name after after he died i think he's saying he got a head of a bear but he was still acted like a human yeah yeah but uh, they fixed it uh, in the op- opposite direction so the bear head would be looking behind if he's uh facing uh facing forward i'm going to relegate that story to the realm of legend and not science because they're pretty clear that the brain is required for um uh, you know the, and uh, you couldn't keep your personality if if you move the brain i don't think the personality stays behind in a more recent uh, story heard that uh, you know we had uh, several bomb blasts uh, in the past uh, century when we had terrorism so the monk had seen one guy lost his head and his head uh, dropped on the floor and the body started body stood up and started running uh, and the eyes of the head opened and the body started running and after after a while the eyes closed and the body fell again and the eyes opened and the body stood up again and started running so i don't know whether how that is connected if the head is required well chickens can do that but it's not um i don't know how that works i don't know i i know that people have had heart transplants and they're still the same person they don't change personalities with a new heart so but i don't think anyone's ever done a successful brain transplant and it seems unlikely to me you'd lose a lot of your memories probably or make it more difficult i don't i'm not sure about that um i mean it's just harder for the body for the mind to to connect to the body and to relate to the body without the brain i think but again i'm not sure as to direction it lies in the upper direction as to location it is to be found in the middle between the two breasts inside the body as to delimitation it is bounded by what by what appertains to heart it's two o'clock do we want to stop there That seems like a good place to stop. Okay, let's come back in a bit and we'll do Pali. We'll go on to Chakupala. <laughs>